hello there. Thanks for tuning in to the Not The Top 20 podcast where I, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ellick, talk all things EFL. And what a weekend we had across all three divisions. The only thing to do is to get straight into the championship where we had a couple of very tasty fixtures, it's fair to say. Preston Bristol City we're not even going to talk about, but at 3 all was one of the liveliest games of the season so far. One of the other tasty-looking fixtures pre-weekend was QPR and West Brom at George. This game was fourth versus fifth beforehand. But as we discussed on Sky Sports on Friday night before the Stoke Forest game, neither team had kept a clean sheet before that. And West Brom had been behind in seven of their eight games so far and yet were unbeaten. So a couple of teams that we were looking forward to seeing on the day at the early kickoff on Saturday, West Brom controlling the game really at Loftus Road, getting a really impressive 2-0 away win. And they are our new league leaders at the top of the championship. Now on the Athletic website today, uh, partners, sponsors of ours, a great article, George, from West Brom writer Steve Maidley. Top of the table and unbeaten, Bilic has built a spine of stars, but the team can still improve. This is going to be our reference point to discuss baggies this week. What did you take from Steve's piece and from the match itself? Well, from the match, I think this is the the result, the performance that really signifies that West Brom are, are a force to be reckoned with this season. Here to stay. We've seen a lot of stuff on social media talking about them and Leeds in the same breath now as being the the clear top two. I think if you go back two weeks, it was Fulham um, who were kind of stepping into that role. And I think West Brom have shown now that despite some high-profile departures in the summer, despite maybe a younger, less recognisable squad, they, you know, Slaven Bilic has got them playing um, a style of football that suits them. They went to QPR, who, you know, who are on the back of four wins on the trot. Uh, it could have been more than four wins. They were playing very well and they completely shut them down. Uh, QPR didn't have a shot on target all game, which is pointed out in the piece. Um, Sam Johnson finally keeping his first clean sheet without really anything to do this season. Um, some interesting pieces. I mean, it's a stats piece, the, the athletic piece, which is interesting. Um, and you're seeing there that Sam Johnson... A, a, you know, a goalkeeper who I think we both think of as being um, uh, pretty exceptional for this level. It seems like because of a couple of high-profile mistakes this season, maybe he divides opinion between um, the West Brom fans and, and this will be a good clean sheet for him to get. Semi, Semi Ajayi is a, a, a defender that we really liked last season at Rotherham. He's come in there, scored a couple of goals and you know, again, this was his first clean sheet and, and the, point, the piece points to how important he's been. And then finally, I guess the forgotten man, the man that even I'd forgotten had gone there a couple of days ago and you and I were talking about West Brom and that's Charlie Austin who um, again in the article um, from Steve he, he points out that, that Austin only scored three goals last season for for Southampton so maybe the old adage that Charlie Austin guarantees you goals is a mm. bit out of date now because he's yet to get off on, on the score sheet here he looks that's the thing I was going to ask you that there's a a few suggestions I've seen that things are definitely going to get better because Austin will definitely start to score goals. How sure can we be of that? I'm sort of playing devil's advocate here and it sounds like you might be as well. He he hasn't scored yet in a, in a baggy shirt. It's only been a few games to be fair. But as you say, last season at Premier League level, not prolific by any means. Uh, it's It's one of... The small concerns, I suppose, about West Brom at, at this stage. I would say the type of striker that Austin is, there doesn't seem to be any reason why he should, um, you know, regress with age. Mm. I guess because he's never been very quick. He's he relies on his movement and his finishing ability. Um, I think it may be the system doesn't really suit him, and we, we've seen Kenneth Sahor come into the into this team and and go out of it again without doing much up top either in that lone striker role. If you're looking at how the goals this season have been spread amongst the West Brom uh, squad, you've got four for, for Matt Phillips, three for Diangana, then Zahor and, and, and Ajayi come next on two with Darnell Fur- Furlong, Jake Livermore, Carl Bartley, Carl Edwards, Matthias Pereira, Nathan Ferguson all getting on the score sheet as well. So mm. you can see there that it's not set up. This isn't a 4-2-3-1 where it's all about getting the ball wide and, and into areas to create for the striker. There's a lot of flair players in there. We talk talk about Pereira, who scored a, a pretty lucky free kick, you have to say, where the wall didn't do its job for QPR. Um, but, you know, the fact that Ajayi scored two, the fact that Carl Bartley scored one as well shows that they're obviously doing a lot of work on set pieces. Uh, Dian Garner's three goals have all come from individual efforts where, you know, the players that are playing out wide are encouraged to come inside and, and, and take chances to shoot. So... I wouldn't say it's necessarily a slight on Austin because I'm sure that in any team that was dominant and, and was built in a way to create chances in that six-yard box, he would thrive. Um, I just wonder if maybe his skill set 
in terms of goal scoring, doesn't really fit into how this Bilic team is going to work. Yeah, the match winners have been elsewhere, haven't they? And the quality in the squad, especially in midfield, is notable. Dian Garner has, has won a few games or has won West Brom points almost single-handedly this season, but we've spoken about how he hasn't been as effective from the start. Kravinovic and Dian Garner have been sort of flip-flopping and Kravinovic looks like a really tidy passer, a different sort of player to Dian Garner, but still adapting to English football. Pereira had his first sort of big match-winning performance uh, on the weekend and Matty Phillips has been fantastic this season. And that's before you mentioned Sawyers and Livermore, who in the pivot have, have been very, very good as well. I think one of the things I took from Steve's piece, he's talk, talking about the spine. Uh, and aside from Johnston, who is already there, uh, he focuses on the impact that Semi Ajayi has had, which is no surprise to us uh, really having seen him dominant at the back for, for Rotherham last season in a team that spent most of its time defending. Um, and uh, and who else? And Romain Sawyers as well in midfield uh, and obviously Austin up front. It's, it's kind of notable to me how different this team looks to last season. If you look at, at the players who played the most minutes for West Brom last season, obviously Jay Rodriguez and, and Dwight Gale, but also Craig Dawson, who left in the summer. Other players like Harvey Barnes, of course, who made such an impact in the first half of the season. Chris Brunt hasn't really featured at all. Holgate didn't come back after his loan spell. So it's a real feat that having brought in Bilic, they've also, to, at this early stage, looks like they've done great business in the transfer window. Permanent transfers like Ajayi, Darnell Furlong, Romain Sawyers. This was a bit of a removal uh, and it signified a change in, in West Brom's operating, I suppose, in the market. The 8 million quid for Zahor is a, it really sticks out like a sore thumb. It, it at this stage looks quite unnecessary, to be honest. Um, but I suppose acceptable backup for, for Austin, even if he doesn't always look particularly top-level championship Zahor. And then they've used the loan market brilliantly, really, haven't they? I mean... To get Kravinovic, Pereira, Dian Garner on loan, you've sort of set your, the spine of your team and then you've sprinkled a bit of stardust on loan. Uh, inconsistent, perhaps, those players at times, but also bringing extra quality. The last thing to mention is Nathan Ferguson. Uh, he's about to turn 19. He He's a centre-back at youth level for West Brom. Has played for all of their youth teams, as you can imagine. But this season, he's been playing at right-back to start the season. And then as Furlong came into the side and Kieran Gibbs got injured, he's been playing left-back. Naturally right-footed. Naturally, he would think a centre-back, you, you know, you'd, you could forgive him some fairly poor performances at left-back at his age, but he's been absolutely perfect. His timing in the tackle, his physicality, uh, and a bit of quality going forward as well, although that's probably not his strong point. It's been, well, it's been an amazing arrival onto the scene for Ferguson, and no surprise to see lots of rumours in the papers, Crystal Palace looking at him as a one-basaka replacement, and Baggy saying 30 million quid, all that sort of stuff. He, he's been fantastic. And now that Kieran Gibbs is back, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Ferguson. We hope to see him continue. Uh, that piece was by Steve Maidley. You can check out that piece and so much more on the Athletic uh, website and app. If you haven't signed up already, um, you can use our code in order to get a, a free trial uh, and then 50% off going forward, which is pretty tidy. It, it sort of amounts to about a coffee a month or a pint a month, maybe less. And there's just a flood of content on that platform. So if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 to read that piece by Steve uh, and many, many more, George and I are planning some pieces of our own over the next few weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, let's talk about Stoke Forest, George. This was on Friday night, live on Sky. Stoke 2, Nottingham Forest 3. A game where the scoreline doesn't tell the story of the game necessarily as a whole. Let's talk Forest first because they did temporarily go top of the table uh, and they did the business again away from home. Uh, it's three wins on the bounce in all uh, home and away. This was another game in which they were quite resolute but notably just exploited a, a Stoke weakness from crosses and took their chances and managed the game against a team that slightly fell apart. What did you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, they were very clinical. Um, they lost the shot count 23-6. They scored three goals from six uh, shots. And as you say, it was the quality of delivery, I think, that really made the difference here. Um, the ball in from, from Cash for Amiobi's header was fantastic. Exactly the same for, for Thiago Silva for Graben's goal. Um, it was the first half an hour of this game followed a pattern where it looked as if Nathan Jones' Stoke were finally going to turn the corner. 
Um, they were 1-0 up. After going 1-0 up after 10 minutes, they were co- continuing to pile on the pressure. Lolly and Dawson both booked early on as, as you know, Forrest basically struggled to cope with um, the driving runs from midfields. They struggled to cope with basically the energy and, and the movement of Powell and Gregory up top as well. Um, Atebo and, and Ndai are going to cause teams massive issues because they're both such powerful runners through the middle with the ball. Um, and can turn, you know, the tra- that transition from defence into attack is is pretty seamless for them as well. Um, and then Jack Butland happened again, um, where, you know, we saw on the Sky coverage beforehand, Caroline Barker interviewed him and she asked him about a, a quote of his in the programme where he talks about how he feels like every time he goes on the pitch, um, he's going to get struck by lightning. The, and the suggestion being that he, he feels very unlucky or something well, like th- that. And... and I or guess. something bad's always going to happen. Well, to. It doesn't sound like a great well, mentality. I think. Does I think. It? I think it goes. I think it probably. Man, you know, goalkeepers are aware. It, it kind of plays, and I guess a little bit to what um, Chris Wilder said about Dean Henderson on the weekend, where he said, you know, if you're a goalkeeper, these bad moments are going to happen in your career. You're going to have um, events and games and moments where you screw up. For Butland, he is having so many all in quick succession. So he's obviously feeling like he's getting all his bad luck out of the way early on in the season. But for me, looking in, he's just not doing his job. It's not a case of bad luck. I mean, again, he's come for a ball that he shouldn't necessarily have come for. If you come for that ball, you've got to be strong and make sure you you take it. And he didn't. If you do drop the ball, make sure you at least kind of get it away from the danger area, which he failed to do. It was a horrific, horrific error. And the difficult thing for Butland is that he's making, you know, we talk about great goal scorers scoring all different types of goals. He's making all different kinds of mistakes. Whether it's coming out for a ball and not getting there, whether it's letting a ball underneath him from a bouncing shot, whether it's literally not getting his, his hand to the ball when diving for it, it's consistently poor in every single facet. And mm-hmm. it's difficult to watch because you've got a guy, Nathan Jones, who, I mean, Nathan Jones, in my opinion, is doing a much better job than, than Jack Button, but Jack Button's going to end up costing Jones his job. It has to be said as well that his players um, didn't react at all well to the disappointment of going of conceding that goal at one all. There's no reason why they shouldn't have gone on and continued to dominate the game. Um, having said that, they did restrict Forests in terms of possession and in terms of, of chances created. Um, Jones is still there. He's going to be in charge again uh, this week um, against Huddersfield. One of the sort of general feelings on social media after the game was... He's got to go now, kind of uh, the reaction from Stoke fans, but also from uh, interested onlookers, shall we say. Uh, He hasn't gone. He's very much still there. It looks like he will be tomorrow night when they play Huddersfield, which is a, it's the sort of, let's not... Relegation six-pointer. Well, it's the, please don't lose this derby. And... um, The parachute payment uh, derby. But (laughs) I want to ask you, does he have to go? The reason I ask is, you tweeted on Friday night, Nathan Jones will be a very good manager again for someone. It's just not going to be Stoke. I just think that it's it's basically an impossible job for him now because pre-season expectations and the expectations of the fans based on the investment in the club, so also the expectations of the owners, is basically unattainable for him. So even like a small run of form now to get them back into mid-table, I think it's a relationship that's, that's basically fairly broken. Um, and... I'm just not necessarily convinced. I mean, I'm a massive fan of his and I think that he will do a good job for someone. Um, but, you know, three wins from however many games it's been since he took over midway through last season is is pretty horrific. Um, and the con- consistent churn of the team suggests he's not entirely sure about how to fix it. Um, so, I mean, I, if they do persevere with him, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him improve on, on what's currently going on. But it's very, very hard to see you know, Nathan Jones's time at Stoke ending, mm. in, ending in glory, is it? It's very is difficult it? to drag it back from this point. Uh, a, a, a amazing interview after the game, really, again, conducted by Caroline Barker, who asked just the perfect questions in the right tone at the right time. And to be fair to Jones, you know, you need the subject to, to perform, so to speak, in those interviews as well. And he was excellent in his exasperation if if i may say and you, you just you can just see him tearing his hair out he knows because he's a young modern manager he knows the underlying numbers he knows how much of an anomaly this stoke team are in terms of how many points they've picked up based on the basically the makeup of every game they've had this season is absolutely absurd and yet he also knows that uh, that ultimately the buck's going to stop with him the only thing i'd say before moving on is you know butlands 
high profile errors are, are obvious uh, on the athletic in that piece from Steve Madeley actually when comparing goalkeepers he did mention that Butland's save percentage is 42% this season uh, Bryce Samba in the other goal has been fantastic pickup for Forrest with an 83% save percentage, uh, has been fantastic in the five games he's played so far. I remember when they signed him, wondering whether Forrest really did need another goalkeeper, but fair enough. Like many of Lamucci's other decisions, he seems to be getting them right and, and, yeah. and he's made a big impact. A point on that with, with goalkeeper stats as well. I mean, they are slightly skewed a bit and we saw this on, on Friday night by teams who play with a low block will generally force opposition teams into having shots from range, which Stoke basically was unbelievably trigger happy. And that will always boost a goalkeeper's um, mm. shot save percentage because if teams are insistent on having cracks from 30 yards, they're much easier to save than the ones flying at you from yeah. 60 yards. But, yeah. um, again, that was disappointing to see, from my opinion, from Stoke, um, was just how willing these guys were to, to, to take shots on, almost as if they didn't really have much faith in themselves to create better chances. Yeah, Tom Ince, a big culprit for that. Uh, not someone that's ever worried too much about the locations of his no. shooting, to be fair, no. Ince, but... Um, been pretty disappointing this season I think it's fair to say um, what else was I going to mention yeah Cash and Lolly you touched on them but down the right for Forrest just looking like a real threat Cash's conversion to a right back has been well seamless and very very impressive because he's you know he, he's a bit of an institution already at Forrest he's been part of the first team for so long and to stay there despite the whole squad churn is impressive in itself to adapt his game in order to impact the team or continue impacting the team um, with someone like Lolly, who plays on his side uh, is, is very, very impressive. Charlton beat Leeds, George. Uh, two defeats before that for Charlton after the international break, but happy days again for them. And we were reminded of, of all the sort of battling qualities of this Charlton side. And we have to give some credit to uh, someone who knows the pod well in Johnny Jackson, who has been a part of recent content of ours, our foot golf series that kicks off this week. It'll be released, hopefully, as soon as this podcast is, but possibly not till Tuesday. We're not sure yet. He told us that day that he's taking credit for any set-piece joy that Charlton have this season because he's the one that draws up the routines. None of this specialist set-piece coach at, uh, at Charlton. Well, not yet. I mean, people who watch the, the video when it comes out will, will see that might be changing quite soon. But. but identifying a weakness in Leeds, who have now conceded three of the five goals from corners uh, and the goal from a corner for Charlton and a fantastic win at the Valley. Uh, what can you say about Leeds? Kind of this the same as we've been saying for the last week or so. So maybe talk about Charlton. It's up to you. No, I mean, with Leeds, they'll be fine still. You know, one another 90-minute game where they've dominated from start to finish isn't going to change their season. Um, I still think they're going to get plenty more opportunities and, and plenty more points um, so long as they keep doing what they're doing. They've conceded it's the be fewest goals in the league. Unbelievably fewest. frustrating. And, you know, they, they conceded three shots again. Um, the goal itself, I think, has still been credited to macaulay Bond, but... Um, you know, it was a, a basically a freak goal. It was kind of like a low-level freak goal, let's say, where, um, you know, it basically bounced off a combination of, of Bon, and I think was it White. Very weak um, goalkeeping from Casilla. Yeah, it was weak goalkeeping. Yeah. Um, and, and they created more than enough chances to win the game, um, whether it was Enketia coming off the bench and, and squaring it for Costa, who couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. Um, White had a very good header as well. Um, worth pointing out as well. It wasn't quite the volume and quality of chances that they've had in previous weeks. I reckon, I mean, you and I, no, it wasn't, in, in fairness. And, and massive credit for Charlton for that because they are a team who, you know, at home, they are, I mean, they're, they're a good team anyway, but at home they um, are confident in what they do and they've got a midfield that you wouldn't want to come up against. I mm. think in, in Prattley and Cullen, you're not going to be given a second on the ball. Um, and I think for Leeds, that's difficult because they're used to, to kind of dominating possession and winning it back very quickly. Um, so I mean you and I are going to Ellen Road tomorrow night and I think we're going to see Enketia starting because a combination of a poor run of form in front of golf Patrick Bamford coupled with one of the stupidest tackles I've ever seen in my life mm. which he only got a yellow card for like an absolutely horrific kick out at, um, at Conor Gallagher um, so late and so far off the ball when they're 1-0 down in a massive game petulant um, for sure from a senior player it just isn't good enough and he was hooked off pretty soon afterwards and, and Enketia was brought on um, and I think that given the poor run of run of results, even surely Marcelo Bielsa has to realise. I mean, he held the Costa obviously did start in this one, um, but I have a feeling Enketia is going to get the nod on Tuesday to try and just turn this dominance into goals. But massive credit for Charlton and a huge result for them, given the um, you know the the, the little stutter 
um, that they've had. And you know, when the the Johnny Jackson video does come out, we don't you know we don't ask for much from our our, our audience. But if you guys want to give something back, please just share it around with your friends. It's something we're excited to release. And um, hopefully it's a bit of fun whilst also providing some insight into one of the uh, the EFL's good guys. Yeah, absolutely. Just to continue on the theme of Charlton's midfield, we know that Johnny Williams has, has stayed fit, which is the first battle, and continues to be creative for them this season. Didn't get much of a chance to, to be that on the weekend, uh, of course, with only 28% possession that Charlton had. But uh, he's a big part of that midfield. And Connor Gallagher as well. We keep mentioning him. On loan from Chelsea, another good performer. He is an interesting player because he's shown both a knack to uh, find himself in goal-scoring positions, uh, a la Lee Bowyer as a player, if I may say. But also, off the ball, it appears to just really understand what to do, which considering he's, I think, 19, playing his first senior football uh, on his first loan, which we're always, or not always, but we're often told is... Uh, sometimes doesn't work for, for the player, sometimes doesn't work for clubs, sometimes they're not quite ready. Um, what he's doing without the ball and the intelligence with which he's playing uh, is very, very notable. And he had another fantastic game, both out of possession, but also uh, when they had the ball as well. The, the last game we're going to go in depth on in the Championship, because there's lots of good talking points, but we must crack on, is Middlesbrough 1, Sheffield Wednesday 4. I suppose pre-game this was about Gary Monk returning to the club that he managed not too long ago, although he seems to be working his way through the championship clubs. Uh, his time at Middlesbrough did not go very well. Their first season back down from the Premier League, like many teams, uh, both this season and in previous seasons, they struggled initially and, and Monk couldn't get them to the, to the top of the table. Uh, since then, as I think everyone knows now, there have been some allegations made over his practice I suppose in the transfer market uh, in the transfer market with Middlesbrough um, relating also to his agent and so there was there was plenty riding on this one I think although as you can imagine from Gary Monk in the press he was keen to talk about the group he was keen to talk about working hard and he was keen to talk about nothing else mattering Um, but he won 4-1 and 4-1 after 34 minutes 4-1 after 34 (laughs) minutes a bit like Forrest identifying a very key weakness in this Middlesbrough side and exploiting it. And that weakness, again, like Stoke... Adam Clayton. (laughs) Adam Clayton, coming from dealing with good crosses and with the people in the middle being Fletcher and Newhue. It was a first-half blitz, wasn't it? And it's sort of... I think some people looking back would say maybe not a 4-1 scoreline this game, but there's really no question that it was the correct result. Middlesbrough looking pretty horrendous, but on the flip side, Sheffield Wednesday under Monk now with a win against Huddersfield, a draw against Fulham and a big win here. It's been a, a very positive start for him. Yeah, it, just that bit of quality from Sheffield Wednesday, um, getting you know the, the flair players and the good players into into good positions. I mean, Barry, Barry Bannon's ball for Iorfa's second goal was from a set piece was what we've come to expect from him. And um, and then Adam Reach's ball through to uh, to Stephen Fletcher for the for the final goal was another just a little bit of quality that unlocked this Middlesbrough team. Um, it was a bit of a shame to get a tweet this morning before we'd even recorded the podcast with some, oh, I think it was yesterday, kind of passive aggressively asking me if I was not going to give Sheffield Wednesday any credit. So I guess I can add them to the list of teams that I clearly hate. You've always um, hated Sheffield Wednesday, mate. Growing up as you did in Oxford and London, it was just a natural hatred, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, it all tallies. But I mean, as you say, I think this Sheffield Wednesday team look immediately so much stronger with Monk um, in charge than they have done for a long time. Um, and it, it is simple. We spoke about it on the betting show. It's just getting their best players into the right areas in order to maximise their impact on the game. Um, the reach being able to play back out wide again was important on Saturday. Um, Fletcher is a striker who's just going to profit from this, um, from playing under Gary Monk, because as we spoke about, maybe it isn't the case with Charlie Austin. This is going to be a team set up to get balls into the box. And he is a striker who will profit from that. You know exactly what you're going to get with him. Um, and if you can get decent delivery into the area, he's going to score goals pretty comfortably, um, especially playing two up top as they did on Saturday with Newhue alongside him as well. Um, just gives him the, the complete license to only play off the last man and try and put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, for Borough, it's, it's getting difficult now. It's getting pretty concerning. Um, as you say, this the, the scoreline um, would trigger panic stations. It's probably a bit too early for that. 
Um, but there needs to be signs pretty soon that the Jonathan Woodgate is, is going to be able to turn this around because um, there seems to be little, you know, we spoke a lot at the, beginning, at the beginning of the season on how Woodgate was charged with improving the quality of the football immediately. And it feels like the football hasn't really improved and the results have have, have, drip, have dipped. It was always going to be so tough, wasn't it? Yeah. And look, let's not entirely write them off, but I agree with you that there are plenty of concerns if I'm just looking at this Middlesbrough team with no context of, of where Woodgate came in from and what happened before. It's not been good this season, quite frankly. But it's that classic sort of... Everyone had the best intentions, didn't they, over the summer? You know, clean slate. We understand it's going to take time. We understand we're asking a lot of him. Now, I'm not saying that he's close to being sacked or anything, but it doesn't take many months of this sort of stuff for fans to say, well... You know, we are willing to be patient up to a certain extent because we also don't want to see our team getting binned off for one at home and failing to deal with fairly straightforward crosses into the box, uh, crosses into the box, and failing to create chances consistently in an exciting attacking style. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there in the next few weeks. But very positive stuff for Wednesday and for Monk. They're just outside the playoffs now. Uh, Barnsley Brentford on Sunday was one of the more entertaining games of basketball sorry of uh, <laughs> football I've seen for a while in the rain at Oakwell I suppose the headline is Ollie Watkins hat trick of headed goals sort of morphing into a striker in the absence of Neil Mopai plenty of talk about how he's he's not as good and he can't quite fill that gap well it certainly wasn't the case uh, on the weekend his movement and his headed finishing was very impressive um, three goals really on a plate for him laid on by some fantastic uh, assists. My personal feeling from this game, my memory from this game will be the performance of Saeed Ben Rama. I think it's well known that I've got a soft spot for him that you do as well. Um, his unique blend of, of control, skill, invention, um, uh, tricks. It, it's its unbelievable to watch when he's in full flow. And just towards the end of the first half and then throughout the second half, Ben Rama was at the very top of his game. Uh, he didn't start the season fit. He's sort of coming into form now. And, you know, last week, it was one of the best weeks we've had on Twitter, actually, because it's so fun when we find a topic of conversation that you guys really engage with, that you want to share your memories and your stories and your opinions with us. And we finally hit on a topic for the first time in a few weeks, um, having exhausted all the obvious ones. And that was... What's a player that's played for your club at whatever level, League Two, League One, Championship, that was just clearly too good for the level and who just, even if they were only there for a few months, even if they didn't reach the very top of the game, who just clearly were way too good for the level. And some of the replies, some of the videos we were sent were just wonderful. It all started with Adele Tarapt, of course, that season where he scored 19 goals and got 21 assists in the Championship. Um, I'm not saying Ben Rama is, is there yet, but more performances like that, and it won't be long. Um, you know, his shooting was wayward. He didn't always choose the best option, but even so, the amount that he made happen on the ball is something that I won't forget. I I'm slightly concerned for Barnsley here. I felt I found them very naive, really. Um, we know they're a young team. We know that Stendhal's fairly uncompromising with the way that he plays. And I think, you know, if you talk to Wigan fans who went to Fulham sort of meekly surrendering and expecting defeat and, and receiving defeat... Maybe it's okay to be a bit bold and a bit naive sometimes, but such a high line in the second half. They were just getting picked off by Brentford. And, you know, we are not coaches and we are not analysts, but it was easy for us to see what was going to happen Yet. in that second half. <laughs> yeah, it was easy to see that eventually Brentford were going to get a ball through to Canos and he was going to get the, the final ball right. And, and that's exactly what happened. So concerning times for Barnsley who haven't won since opening day. That Fulham-Wigan game I touched on... Uh, a Tom Kearney special. What more can we say? I think in terms of my dream foot golf uh, guests, Kearney's definitely up there. I'm going to try and get on Fulham and see if we can get him involved in that. And then um, Blackburn 1, Luton 2, or Derby 3, Birmingham 2. George, which of those two games do you want to uh, give me a talking point from? Just one. I mean, I think the Derby-Birmingham uh, game is a pretty significant one, um, given what's happened at Derby this week. It really felt like, uh, you know, at home to one of the teams that are gonna, I think are going to be battling relegation this season, um, a loss here, and it would have been um, a week that could really have changed the course of, of Derby County as a, as a club going forward because suddenly 
without certain key players. I mean, we have to assume that Tom Lawrence um, isn't going to be playing for Derby in the next, you know, who knows how long it'll be, but any time particularly soon. It's an awkward situation, is it? They've they've sort of... I heard rumours that Mel Morris, who spoke to fans before the game, was sort of apologising and making himself available, which is very admirable. But people asking, are you going to sack Lawrence because of his bad behaviour? The suggestion is that that's essentially writing off a yeah. five million pound asset, which a businessman is is fairly loath to do. Ab- absolutely, but it's a tough situation, right? It's, it's a very difficult situation um, because you know what the guys have done is much worse than you know just the stories going around. I mean, to get in the car um, under the influence of alcohol and drive is just not really acceptable uh, in any profession or in any walk of life. So. Um, you couldn't really blame them for doing so, but it puts them in a very difficult position. Um, Richard Keogh is, is obviously out for at least this season. Talk today that it's going to be twenty, sorry, December 2020 is his estimated return date, um, which is going to be very difficult for him to come back from. So this was a huge game. And for Derby to get the result that they did um, is, is massive for them because uh, we've seen the, the rebirth of, of, of a talisman, I guess, in Chris Martin, someone who was the, forgot, you know, the forgotten man at the club, um, coming back at a time where you know, the club really needed him, basically. Mm. And, and he's come in and provided the opening goal and got the assist for the second goal. And also just to go 2 up in this game and then concede twice within nine minutes of going 2 up was... Um, it felt to anyone following the game, anyone watching the game, that this was going to be mm. uh, the story that everyone hoped wouldn't happen and they were going to go on to lose the game and it was going to be the, the week of hell. And then for Lukas Jukovic to miss the penalty mm. and then Derby to go the other end and win the game 3-2 is a massive, massive boost for them and they've got to make the most of this. I mean, Philip Koku, this is his first win at home as a Derby manager coming at such an important time. It's hard to see where the quality in the squad comes from now, I have to say. Um, they've got three decent strikers at championship level in Chris Martin, Martin, ha- Martin Waghorn and Jack Marriott. But I mean, it's not amazing no. by any stretch if you're looking at playoff finalists from last season. Well, Dowell's uh, been very disappointing, hasn't he? Bielik uh, taking some time to settle. I think it's fair, fair to say. He's been gave playing centre-back now. So. Gave away that penalty. Clark was dropped or rested, whatever you want to say, ahead of this game on the weekend. So there's plenty to iron out still. Um, it could be an opportunity for Jamie Patterson to get some game time. He he obviously scored the winning goal. Lovely finish. He just always strikes me as a really clever player. I don't know if, if he lacks a yard of pace or what it is because he, he seems like an intelligent player. He's got two great feet, really good delivery. He scores goals at a decent rate. Um, you know, I, I was A, surprised that Bristol City let him go, although I know that they, they were pretty stacked in the forward areas. So fair enough in, in that sense. But... Surprised that he hasn't got more of a look in. I'm sure he will now because, as you mentioned, Derby not in the best shape uh, personnel-wise. Uh, and Chris Martin, just a question to anyone listening. Have you ever had a player who has been, let's say a striker, but could be any player, who's been a, a, a genuinely key member of your team, a successful member of your team for a year or two, then been sent on three loans Vanish, yeah. in the same division, basically none of which went well, <laughs> only to come back be in the cold for quite a while now and then somehow force his way back in the team. It's uh, it's quite the story among a number of stories at uh, Derby at the moment. For Birmingham, a lot of frustration from the fan base. Um, such naive defending for certainly for the winning goal, but for a couple of the other ones as well. Dan Crowley was a, a positive. A lot of Derby fans commenting on, on how tidy he looked and, uh, and how cheaply Birmingham signed him for in the summer. Sunjic as well, not cheap, but... Um, trying his best at the base of midfield and scoring a spectacular goal. Let's move on to League One, uh, George. It was a well, it was a rare weekend, really, because when we sit down on a Monday morning and try and sift through the games, sort of whittle down to, to the main talking points, trying not to touch on too many teams week to week because we don't want to be repeating ourselves. Normally, you sort of get rid of the draws and you've got maybe seven to pick from. Only two draws in League One. Sorry, only one draw in League One on the weekend. So 10 winning teams that we could talk about. Please, listener, try and understand that we're not going to do all 10. Uh, we believe a good podcast doesn't go well past the hour mark. So we're, we're trying to hit that target. Sorry if your team won and we don't discuss it. Um, but for a few teams, it was kind of more of the same, I think. Um, uh, not in a negative way, but not much more we can add that we haven't said already. So here are a few things that stood out to us. You wanted to talk about 
Rochdale nil, Wickham three. This was a classic sort of um, demonstration of differing styles because although Wickham are not quite as hoof it as they have been with a bit more quality in the team Rochdale are extreme possession based side which meant Wickham had 29% of the possession and won very comfortably by three goals to nil this was a uh, it was a good time to play Rochdale wasn't it but a Wickham team in second place very impressive I mean you say it's a good time to play Rochdale I, I think until well after their exertions in midweek against against Man United fine but I mean the, the performance from Rochdale basically mirrors everything they've been doing for for the for the weeks before, um, Brian Barry Brian Barry Murphy has to wake up to the fact that he may have got his Rochdale team playing the possession based style that he wants them to play. I mean, they they attempted 530 passes to Wickham's 220 on Saturday, um, but that possession, unless it's going to be trying to turn into creating chances, unless it's going to be effective in winning games of football isn't going to help them at all and it feels like it's almost the opposite teams are finding it very easy just to sit off them and pick them off on the break um so i mean he's he's well, a re- teams are finding it quite easy to exploit the unusual positioning of their goalkeeper as well um, i might yeah. suggest old sanchez in goal he pings a lovely diagonal out to the fullbacks and he loves a short pass but certainly being noted amongst a few of our friends on twitter that over the last few weeks he has been either obviously at fault or n- almost obviously at fault for about like eight goals it's it's remarkable the second goal a long throw that Akin Fenwer sort of headed over him with him just standing about eight yards off his line but nowhere near challenging for the ball it's bizarre yeah I mean it, it I completely agree um it feels like they've been drilled in a way that isn't conducive to winning games of football I mean Giles Phillips completed the, sorry attempted the most passes for Wickham in the game in 29 that was more than every single Rochdale player sorry that was less than every single Rochdale player except for Ian Henderson who was 28 um you know McNulty and Williams the two centre-backs between them attempted about 160 passes I mean it's just completely pointless possession-based football obviously can work and it can be an impressive way to to build your team but it has to come with you know an understanding and a nous in terms of how to win games of football. And that's something that Wickham have with absolute abundance. It's something that their manager, um, through his experience, has got. And Brian Barry Murphy is clearly a guy who has an understanding of how he wants his team to play and has got the team well drilled in doing so. But something's got to change very quickly or I can see them being left behind um, really, really fast. Uh, obviously, a fantastic result midweek and they deserve huge credit for it. And it is tough um, to have the... I, you know the hangover of going toe to toe with Manchester United and, and to come up short due to no you know skill fault of their own on on, on what is a lottery, um, but this is the bread and butter and they can't use that excuse for long. Um, for all their possession, they're averaging nine shots a game. Um, it's it's not good enough. They yeah. If, obviously, we're looking at Bolton as being um, all but relegated, uh, and I don't think it's going to be very long until Rochdale are in a similar position because um, they are you know looking to me like the team who despite a promising early start are going to descend into kind of whipping whipping boy territory well the only team they've beaten in the last six games in the league was south end who probably the other side that you'd be extra concerned about at this stage um but no you've explained your concerns very well how jealous are you that i spent saturday with michael appleton uh, at the quest studios george you're quite jealous yeah there were a few messages like how's michael yeah. Send in my regards. Obviously. Have you have you have you asked him about me? No, I'm, I'm doing you a disservice. He he sent his best, um, and uh, he was very complimentary about how complimentary you are about him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his Lincoln side lost his first proper game in charge, two one to Blackpool on Friday night. I think it was a fair result. Blackpool came out the blocks really well. Two quality goals they scored, uh, one by Scannell and one from Jordan Thompson, who Appleton said looked like a, a bit of extra quality in the centre of the park for them. Uh, but Liam Feeney's catching the eye for Blackpool. They started really hot, didn't they? And then they, they've had a, a quieter few weeks, but Feeney is the top assist maker uh, in League One. I think he's got seven. And in a way that sort of, he's a bit of a rare breed, a, a winger that hugging the touchline, still got a lot of pace at 33 and an excellent delivery as well. His his crossing style and trajectory is just perfect to have Armand Nondouillet at the end of them. Uh, and uh, that is something that's that's bearing fruit for Blackpool. Lincoln need to, they need to improve. They're, they're not in good form at the moment. And uh, Michael Appleton 
you know he'll get time and I don't think anyone's expecting them now to to probably be towards the top six which we thought they might be if, if the Cowleys had stayed um, but they're not used to losing over the last few years so they need to to sort of buck their ideas up a little bit uh, that squad and with Appleton at the helm I, I want to talk about Shrewsbury and Fleetwood that's because Fleetwood beat Shrews 3-0 away from home they're in third at the moment and I just wonder whether we're seeing a Fleetwood side that are well possible automatic promotion challengers at this stage there's a there's obviously Ipswich towards the top of the table still unbeaten we've had Coventry there or thereabouts uh, you've still got Peterborough and Sunderland looking like they you know they, they, they can and will challenge as well but Fleetwood have just clearly made a leap from last season and last season I think they had finished 10th or 11th they look like a, a different prospect and while it is still Barton at the helm while there are some of the players from last season involved I think their summer recruitment has clearly taken them to the next level. It's allowed Barton to switch things up a bit. Uh, they seem pretty flexible now. They've been starting with a 4-3-3 last season. They tried to get Evans and Madden on the pitch as much as possible at the top of the pitch. Uh, and obviously, in that sense, sacrifice a bit of midfield control, potentially. Um, well, they've got midfield control in abundance now with Coots and, and Rossiter, especially. Jordan, uh, sorry, Josh Morris has been fantastic down the left flank. Another summer signing, uh, keeping Ash Hunter out of the team, who was their best player last season. And uh, they, they, they look excellent. They score some really good goals. They're really good from set pieces. Suter is a massive threat from them. Someone that it looks to me like Stoke could do with on loan <laughs> from Stoke. Um, and uh, but also scoring some really nice goals from open play. One of their goals on the weekend, I think it was Morris the second, notable for quick interchanges in the final third, working it out wide, and the low cross into the box uh, finished off. That's something that we've seen a few times this season. So, and the, I think it's such a good, well balanced four three three as well because you got in Burns and Morris, you've got two wide players who are both very adept at coming in. Uh, at that back post, I guess, and providing a, a threat in the box to, to aid, whether it's Evans or, or Madden as that centre striker. And you've got full backs who can help as well. I mean, Louis Coyle's already got three assists from right back, who's on loan from Leeds, who's a very good attacking right back, who can just provide another angle of attack um, to them. They look really well balanced. They've got quality coming off the bench. I mean, you look at the three, you know, Madden coming off the bench to score the goal on Saturday. The fact that due to the system they play, and um, they're going to have either Chad Evans or, or Paddy Madden to come on is is as good a kind of striker replacement as you're going to get in League One. Um, and f Joey Barton has you know has proven himself to be someone who can get this team set up effectively defensively, and um, and in terms of personnel, just a nice balance. Um, as you say, Coots and Rossiter in terms of kind of ball playing midfielders um, is is very very strong. So you know we tipped I tipped them up on the betting show a few weeks ago as. Um, a possible bet for for to winning the, for winning the league and uh, yeah on Saturday we've got um, Fleetwood against Ipswich and in, in my head you know it's the two teams that I think are the class teams in the league at the moment um, going head going toe to toe yeah well those of you who are interested in the underlying numbers well we use the Fox Punter XG tables provided by Mike Holden uh, and his service and no surprise potentially to anyone who does follow that stuff to see Fleetwood near the top of the table because they're very much towards the top end of all the metrics, all the ratings as well, uh, both ends of the pitch, to be quite honest. They are uh, creating about as much as, as anyone, in fact, possibly more than anyone in the division so far this season. Uh, and they are very, very solid uh, at the back as well, conceding less than uh, one expected goal per game. So really good vibes for Fleetwood, one team to keep an eye I on. Think, yeah, I think now's the time. If you're going to get involved, I think they'll, they'll have a very good chance of beating um, Ipswich on Saturday. And then I think once that, if and once that happens, um, the cat's kind of out the bag. What about Oxford United, George? Because I want to know if they might be really good. Uh, an incredible fortnight for Yellows. <laughs> Starting with a, that 3-0 win against Tranmere. We didn't know what would come after that. A nil or draw at Bolton didn't feel great. Since then, 6-0 at Lincoln, 4-0 against West Ham, 3-0 against Gillingham, 16 goals without reply. I'd like, and you are just buzzing at the moment. I'd like to not answer this question because whenever I say that we're going to get relegated, we suddenly go on a ridiculous run. And whenever I say we're going to go up, then we suddenly okay. go on Well, up. don't say anything, but tell me what you told me earlier about quality of the squad, how it just feels quite well-rounded, how it feels like even with a couple of injuries, you'd still be all yeah, right. I think, I think that's... I guess the crucial thing for this Oxford team is not only have they found an effective way of of playing football and winning games and 
um, defensively very sound, but it's the strength and depth that's really striking. Um, you've got Mark Sykes, who came off the bench against West Ham to kind of give a match-winning display with two assists, not even in the squad on Saturday because there was just no room for him on the bench. Um, you know, they made six changes to that team for the West Ham game. They reverted back and made five changes. So you've got a team who've won 4-0 against Premier League opposition, making five changes to revert to their supposed strongest eleven for the Saturday. Um, so many players on that bench could feel hard done by. I mean, Shandon Baptiste gave a, a Premier League level display on Wednesday and he's not in the team on Saturday. Anthony Ford's come in um, and done fantastically well and he's been dropped as well. Um, it is exciting and that's I think that's the crucial thing to this Oxford team is if and when, because there are going to be bad performances coming and there are going to be bad results coming. But when they happen, Carl Robinson has a plethora of options in terms of replacing those players. So these players, you know, Saturday, Accrington, all the players coming over that, that white line are going to know that if their performance level dips at all, there's going to be someone who's going to come in for them the week after. Yeah. And, and that, comp- that competition for places is something not many teams have at this level and certainly Oxford haven't had in a long time. So, um, you know, the, the, the levels that we're seeing at the moment are not repeatable consistently over the course of a season. That is obvious. Or are they? No, they're not. <laughs> but but um, this is... Yeah, this is as good a team as, as I've seen Oxford have for a long, long time. It feels like the, 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 not necessarily the squad, but the club under Carl Robinson does reflect his character to some extent. I mean, the, the highs are extreme as we're experiencing at the moment. Some of the lows have felt quite extreme as well. And he does sort of fan the flames in, in, both, in, both, uh, in both circumstances, doesn't he? So uh, never boring, put it that well, way, I mean, yeah. with Carl Robinson at the helm. So Oxford has scored, only Peterborough have scored more goals than Oxford. Um, but then Oxford are also, I think, seventh for goals conceded. So mm. um, yeah, exciting for the neutral at least. I mean, it's ridiculous that, you know, it's, what is it, five clean sheets in a row? Um, one, in, one, albeit in the cup, and Oxford have conceded 15 goals this season from 10 games. I mean, that, so 11 games, that's just lunacy so well you go to Accrington on the weekend we went to that game last season at Oxford and the big takeaway I remember was Accrington despite maybe a talent disadvantage very much knew how to play knew their system found just smart ways of of managing the game and creating chances we kind of had the same with Burton when we went to the Burton Oxford game about six weeks ago so it'd be interesting to see how far Oxford have come in that in that sense because well, our sense was they were still learning themselves. But at this stage, things looking very good. One more team to flag up in League One that we probably haven't mentioned enough this month. Three wins and two draws in September for Bristol Rovers. Uh, they beat Rotherham on the weekend. It was the sort of defeat that has caused quite a lot of soul-searching in, in, on the Rotherham side of things. Um, fans feeling like this squad is, is not clicking, that Warren hasn't found the right way to get them to play. Um, that they were bullied and bossed by this Bristol Rovers team. But I, I think Rovers are one of the teams that will beat you and you'll feel a bit like that. They, they, they sort of, because they're quite physical and they're not necessarily the prettiest, they are very effective. That's the sort of team you play against and you think, oh, you know, we, we're not good enough here. Whereas you get a team like Barnsley, for example, in the championship, who... Every losing team says, oh, they're a great team. They're good enough not to go down, but they're just, you know, they're, they're just naive and not smart. I think this Bristol Rovers team is kind of in the image now of its manager, Graham Coughlin. I would say, yeah, Bristol Rovers are the under-the-radar team at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, they've only lost one game in the league in their last six or seven. Uh, and they look, you know, especially at home, they look very decent. That defeat was away at Burton in a game where they had more than enough chances at nil-nil to get ahead. Um, they're very, very solid at the back. They've got Johnson Clark-Harris, a, a striker who's going to score goals and is going to bully defenders. Um, I think they might have a goalkeeper in Yakola as well, who's yeah. possibly the best shot stopper in League mm. One. Yeah, I mean, they, they look to me like they could be an outsider to challenge that uh, those playoff places. It was a poor, poor start to the season, which they're still making up for. Um, you know things about it, Rotherham, when I tweet uh, a um, anti-Steve Evans tweet and a Rotherham fan replies saying that he'd have him over Paul Warren. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that whatsoever. Um, this is Warren's... It's funny to say this about a manager who's you know, oversaw relegation last season, but I feel like this is Warren's trickiest spell as a manager, where mm. all last season, um, you know, they were paddling uh, upstream, whereas now they're in a league where they should be more than competitive, where he's been back to the transfer market and things aren't really going right for him. Uh, and I think he deserves the time to, to turn this around. Um, 
but you know we always think of him as being a fairly reluctant manager mm-hmm. and whether or not he's going to fancy the job when maybe he's not getting the support of the players and the fans that he normally enjoys um, will be interesting to see yeah, but I'd, be, he's su- a guy I'd be surprised if some of the more level-headed fans yeah. are, are, have turned against him but as always with social media you do notice when there's a little bit of a tide that starts to turn um, sorry to the following teams Ipswich who beat Tramere 4-1 Sunderland who beat MK Dons 2-1 Peterborough who beat Wimbledon 3-2 Pompey who beat Bolton 1-0 and Accrington who beat Southend 1-0 feel free to send us a message at NTT20pod you can do that on Instagram and we can send a video review of what we thought about your game, if you like, or a, a Twitter message as well. We're happy to get in uh, in touch with you guys, but no time on the pod, sadly, as mentioned by George earlier. We have got this midweek trip across the country up to Yorkshire on Tuesday and back down again on Wednesday, taking in two games. So, uh, you know, in order to get over the boredom of having to talk to each other, um, we will be willing to reply to any and all messages. In League Two, George, three Massive away performances and wins, uh, all from teams who are challenging in League Two, and it's still a little murky. It's still a little bit tough to work out who the true challengers are, and it's making for a very entertaining league. But let's start with Grimsby because not only did they end Exeter's unbeaten run, the last unbeaten run in League Two has gone, but it was just a few days after they had lost 7 1 at Stamford Bridge on the Wednesday. And what's kind of interesting is we've seen a few teams have big performances in midweek. Oxford were one. You spoke about them reverting back, making five changes and doing really well. Rochdale, another one, didn't make very many changes, struggled. Uh, A couple of other teams, Crawley, struggled at home to Walsall. Well, Grimsby made six changes and Hanson and Green, their really first choice front two, who are such a threat from in direct play, essentially. They were swapped out for uh, Ogbu, who was flanked by Akeem Rose and Harry Wright. Those guys, pacey wingers. It was a clear change in style from Jolly. It was a clear plan of action following that Chelsea game in order to maintain freshness, but to maybe spring a surprise on Exeter and to hurt them on the counter. And I don't want to go too far here because they rode their luck at times. Exeter will feel a little bit hard done by, but Grimsby got the win and, and, and found a way and, and really made it difficult on the counter. Ethan Robson. Well, yeah, I was about to talk about Robson. Go on. Because, I mean, this was only a second start of the of the league campaign so far. And the second kind of ball-playing midfielder that, that Grimsby have had on loan from Sunderland after Elliot Embleton's starter in their last season. And early signs are that Robson could be, even be an upgrade on, on Embleton because... Um, he scored two goals here um, that takes a tally to three in, in those two games and three sub appearances with an assist as well he just looks like a fantastic player and you mentioned the change to the starting lineup. I have no question that Matt Taylor when he saw the team sheet rather than being happy that, that Hansen and Green were, were on the bench I'm sure he was frustrated that any of everything they're, they're prepared for the team they knew they were going to face they had a completely different um Tests coming up against them because in Ogbu Green and, and Hanson you know you're going to get you've got two powerful runners either side of a big target man suddenly you've got Ogbu providing completely different threat through the middle and Wright and Rose totally different players it's a completely different team a different shape to everything they'd have prepared for as you say Exeter had more than enough about them in the game to, to get a lot closer to, to Grimsby than they did but away from home, when you're going 1-0 up after 20 minutes, I think you can probably assume that you're going to concede chances and concede possession. So, um, you know, it's no slight to Grimsby. And it's brave It's brave for Michael Jolly to, to make those changes. Um, and it's going to give him the right kind of selection headache going forward now because they've had a few good results this season for which they have to thank Hansen and Green. But this is the pick of the bunch so far. So do you go again with the same team on on, on a Saturday or do you recall the, the big names? A lovely issue to have. A lovely, lovely issue to have. Uh, Newport went to Swindon and produced maybe not the perfect away performance. Isgrove missed a really good chance at 1-0. But in League Two terms, this is, this is the blueprint if you're a team like Exeter coming up against a team like Swindon. Um, you're not going to take them on um, on the ground are you you're, gonna, you're not going to allow them space to counter-attack what you are going to do is press them well in the midfield which the, the midfield three of, of Wilmot and Labadee and Sheehan did fantastically well for Newport and you're going to hurt them where they are weak and for Swindon you know, and for a lot of teams that have the 
I suppose, the profile or the makeup of Swindon, which is a technical side. Sometimes you do lose a bit of physicality, you maybe lose a bit of a bit of strength, and sometimes that can lead to a soft centre. That was certainly the case on the weekend. Uh, sadly, for Swindon, Friars played at, at centre back and struggled somewhat. Conroy looked like he had a pretty tough time and I believe he came off with an injury as well. So um, from a Newport point of view, good to see them back in winning ways, keeping clean sheets. O'Brien scoring from a set piece was no surprise, but um, I wanted to just flag out, flag out, flag up. Flag out. I'm not putting. Take the flag out, please. (laughs) I'd like to flag up Ryan Haynes, who's their left back, because when we went through Newport's summer business, uh, it was clear to us that they were going to miss Dan Butler who moved to Peterborough. And that has absolutely not been the case whatsoever. Haynes has been fantastic for Newport. Um, delivery from, from wide areas has been a big part of their success uh, and filling in perfectly well defensively as well. So Haynes has been fantastic. And then Salford nil, Forest Green 4, George. This Forest Green team's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't see this one coming. Um, I, thought, I thought that when... Forest Green were finally involved in a game with goals. They'd be on the receiving end of a 4-0 defeat, not not going to Salford and, and winning um, as they did. Uh, it was a completely different performance from them. Um, but it, basically, Forest Green's games this season have been, have been fairly dire at both ends of the pitch. They've been very stubborn in terms of preventing the opposition from having many chances. Uh, they also have been pretty poor going forward. Again here, they lost a shot count 14-9 to Salford. Salford beat them in terms of shots inside the box. Salford beat them in, in pretty much every um, metric going but the scoreline is 4-0 and you've got um, a striker who's been starved of goals in, in Matt Stevens grabbing two which should you know change the outlook for Forest Green going forward if they've got a guy who can actually put the ball in the back of the net for the first time this season um, obviously after losing Doidge over the summer um, but again with Salford I seem to be saying every week there are signs that they're going to be okay um, but they're struggling to turn any good performances into goals and results and this is an absolute shocker for them to take on a team at home who have previously been incapable of finding the back of the net and to concede four is not good. Um, So it's a hard one to make much sense out of. I don't think this is going to be suddenly Forest Green back to winning ways and and, and dispatching teams pretty easily. I still think there's a a pretty chronic lack of quality in the team. Um, But this is a massive result in order to try and kickstart something going forward. They've kept eight clean sheets in 11 games. Unbelievable. That's absolutely remarkable. Obviously, that's more than anyone else in the top four tiers. That's not surprising. Um, They'd only scored seven in ten, which you alluded to before this game. Um, But as you mentioned, cutting loose to score four, uh, they went ahead earlier and they they sort of picked Salford off, didn't they? And it's going to be really interesting to see how this Forest Green team develops. If they can maintain this sort of defensive solidity, and they're not going to keep clean sheets three and four games, of course they're not. But if they can if they can be the strongest defensive team in the division, which they clearly are at the moment, um, then they're going to be really, really interesting. Aaron Collins came back from injury and and notched a nice goal. Ebu Adams in midfield. um, Basically, everyone who was there told us this, but the Who Scored website stats back it up. Pretty much had the best game a central midfielder can ever have, um, doing a bit of everything. He scored a goal. Uh, He had the joint most touches in the game, so he's really involved in build-up. He made nine tackles. Completed three out of the four attempted dribbles. Just a, a brilliant all-round performance from Adams. Uh, and that's someone to keep an eye on as well. Uh, Joseph Mills is probably Forest Green's best player, I would say. He's the left wing back. He gets up and down the left side fantastically well. He got a nice assist on the weekend. That's three goals and three assists he's scored already this season. Um, and in sort of fantasy football terms, he'd be the perfect player. A defender, so eight clean sheets in 11 games, but also three goals and three assists. And playing alongside his brother, Matt Mills, um, yes. who uh, who's helped to bolster that defence. Look, that's going to be it from us. With credit to Walsall for a third win on the bounce uh, and another screamer from James Clark. Um, with due credit for Plymouth for getting a big win at, at a Mansfield team who are just all at sea at the moment. And for Carlisle for edging what was a, a game we were told we'd, we'd in, played Pretty poor quality against Oldham, um, but for getting a good win and uh, and the three points there. That's it from us. Hope you enjoy the midweek championship fixtures. If you follow us on Instagram at NTT20pod, uh, we are travelling up to Leeds tomorrow on Tuesday. Hopefully the weather doesn't cause chaos. 
Um, we're really looking forward to Leeds West Brom. That is a tasty fixture for sure. And then Brentford Bristol City back in London on Wednesday night should be smashing as well. Um, we'll be looking to do any sort of video content or question and answer or whatever you want. So just get in touch with us there and um, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, not the Top 20 podcast. That Johnny Jackson foot golf video is going to drop soon, I promise. And uh, we cannot wait for you guys to see it because it is good fun. Thank you